trying to work something out of my system. Give me a minute. Y'all get to sit there after moments like that, and I got to get up and speak. So, uh, we're just do something a little different. You know, Jake and Lane Slade's got a lot going on, and and uh, Chad and Chastity LeBlanc's got a lot of stuff going on there. Daughter is carrying a, carrying a baby, and this brain is not developed. So they got a lot going on. So I'm going to... I hate this to you, brother. Nah, just sit there. Craig, why don't you come up here and pray, pray for us? Just give me a second. All right, if you have your Bible, open up Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter Start off in in um, well, let me give you real quick instead of reading it all. You know, you got, you have a period here uh, where the Old Testament closed out with the Book of Malachi, <clears throat> and then there was a period of about four hundred years of silence as far as the prophets were concerned. The Lord the Lord wasn't speaking through the prophets for a period of time, a period of silence. Uh, there and it seems as if God had forgotten His people, and and at this point in time, Israel was under the bondage uh, of the Roman Empire. Their religion had become very stagnant, ceremonial, uh, legalistic, lifeless, and uh, was a people very desperate in a need uh, for a move of God. And and what we actually see is that that God had not forgotten His people. That he was that he was actually working and and setting the table, uh, setting a stage of the world for uh, one of the greatest miracles uh, that the world has ever witnessed. Sending sending his son, God becoming a man, in order to save us from our sins. 
you know, if you you look back and say, what was God doing? You know, all this, all the time that Christ came, the Bible refers to it as as the time uh, of God's plan. Uh, but you know, Alexander the Great had conquered the the known world, and in doing that, God used that to establish uh, one language, the Greek language at that time, and then Roman Empire came in, took them over, and uh, the world was unified through that, so that was able for to for travel to be possible uh, during that time, and, and so God was setting the stage for the explosion of the gospel. All those things had to come to pass so that when Christ rose from the grave, uh, now the disciples could go out one language, you know, one one unified world basically at that time to carry the gospel out into the world and establish the foundation of the church. And and so this was God's plan um, for 4,000 years, you know, prior to this, before we come to Luke chapter 1, uh, God had promised, you remember the story in Genesis chapter 3, you can pull that up there for me, sister. Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, Adam uh, sinned against God. God told him not to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the one command God gave. It was the one command that they broke. And sin entered into the world. Death came about because of sin. Man entered into a sin curse. God could have wrote us off at that point in time, but instead God preached the gospel um, there to to Adam and to Eve. And he said... In Genesis 3.15, he was talking to the to the serpent. He was talking to Satan here. And he said, I will put enmity or hatred between you and the woman, between your seed, and notice what it says, and her seed. This is the prophecy of a virgin birth. It was not, not the seed of Adam. Okay? Adam's seed passes on sin and death. You inherit that. You were born a sinner. You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. Nobody had to teach you how to sin. And so that passed on, and that's why that that sin curse is passed on all down through this. So that's why it's very important to understand the virgin birth of Jesus was that he was not the seed of Adam, but God being his father, the seed of the woman. And notice what he said, he, that seed, shall bruise your head. Going to crush the head of the serpent. All that, the, all that Satan brought about because of sin, the seed of the woman's going to crush him. And you shall bruise his heel. Talking about the sufferings of Christ on the cross. So God tells very clearly his plan there that he was going to save mankind. And right after that, we know that Adam believed and God covered them in animal clothing uh, and, and hid the nakedness of their sin. I'm going to do a lot of Bible teaching today instead of a whole lot of preaching. But, but as you follow the scripture down through time, you'll see that this plan God worked out. The scripture basically is a story of God's plan of redemption. It tells us what God's doing. There was a lot of other stuff going on in the world, but to God, this is the most important thing. And so he's telling us his plan of redemption, how he would fulfill that promise that he makes in Genesis 3.15 there. You see a man named Noah and his family. After that, God works through Abraham. Then he uh, works through the nation of Israel. Then you see Moses as he brings the people out of Egypt. He gives them the law. And they establish uh, them in the promised land. And you see David, Solomon, the Old Testament prophets, all of those speaking of the Messiah to come, especially uh, in the book of Isaiah. <clears throat> and every one of them was a vessel that God used to fulfill the plan that he spoke of. 
Actually, it didn't start there when man fell. God designed this plan before, the Bible says, before the foundation of the earth. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit entered into a covenant in agreeance. Here's how much God loves you. He knew that we would jank it up, that we would sin, that we would fall and fail. And Jesus agreed to die. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. He agreed to die for our sins before man was ever made. That's an amazing love to me. Amen? And, and so the point of, of Christ coming was to save us from our sins. So, so that brings us to Luke chapter 1, 400 years of silence. God breaks the silence with a couple. We won't read that this morning. Uh, Zacharias and, and, uh, and Elizabeth. Their name, Zacharias, I taught this to the men on Wednesday night. Zacharias means God remembers. Elizabeth's name means his covenant. God remembers his covenant. And so he brings John the Baptist on the scene, who would be the forerunner of Christ, promised in Isaiah chapter 40. And so all of this, God's at work. And, and, and he, uh, we get to the place where we see the first mention of Mary, his mother. <clears throat> and it says in verse 26, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man that was in, she was engaged, a legal binding document, whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when he saw, or when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor or grace with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I know not a man? And the angel answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. And therefore also the Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has conceived a son in her old age and is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. So that was what was spoken. Uh, there's a lot I can't cover this morning, but I want to do jab a couple of things here. And maybe y'all can study it yourselves. Look at this verse, 38. When, then Mary said, Behold, the maid servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from there. Later, she goes to uh, she see, goes to see her cousin Elizabeth, and and uh, and uh, this is called Mary's song. Elizabeth speaks to her. Anyhow, I want you to notice. I want to I want to point out in verse forty five said, "Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord." And Mary said, "This is the only one thing I want to read here. My soul magnifies the Lord." My soul magnifies the Lord. You know, you don't have to turn there, but back over in Matthew chapter 1, the same announcement, but this was to Joseph. And when he's talking to Joseph, he says um, in verse uh, 21, Matthew chapter 1, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22 says, 
So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. God with us. And so the purpose of Christ coming was to fulfill God's plan, his eternal plan, to save us from our sins. Okay? And so in that, the greatest plan ever that we've ever seen, God is doing... These great things, and he's gonna, he told these people, and he chose them, I guess, let me get back to to Luke chapter 1. The people that he chose to be a part of this were simply what the Bible would refer to as a vessel. A vessel is like a jar, a vase, something like that. God points out as in a believer's life, we're vessels. And the purpose of a vessel is so that God can fill us, and so that God can pour out through us. It's not just about you receiving. You know, we have to receive. Mary received what God spoke of her, and therefore it was fulfilled in her life. See that all the way through the scripture. But not only that, God wants to pour out through us. Our our church should be a vessel in which God pours His Spirit, His power, His glory, His truth, His presence, His love, everything that God's Spirit is, pours into His people so that we as a people would pour out into our community, into the lost world. Now, I want to say this. God is still doing great things. I know we live in a world today that is that our nation has turned away from the Lord. Man, I was, I was kind of shocked this week. Shouldn't be, but but uh, but a study they, they, they just did, a statistics, uh, however they do all that stuff, said in Europe, and it's almost, almost the same with the United States of America, only 42% of the population believe in a, in a life after death. The rest of them like, we don't believe there's anything after that. And I'm thinking, man, the Lord, the Lord's going to come back. He is coming back soon. And you see what's going on. And, and though, though our nation has turned away and you hear things like that, uh, I think a lot of that's because we're in the same place they were. Our, our religion has become very legalistic and, and dramatized. You know, in our day, it's, it's drama and it's fake and, and a lot of things going on. Not, not, not all of it by any means, but there's a whole lot of stuff that people are, are influenced by, especially I, I hate the way that, that lost people look at social media and they look at TV. And they come to the to conclusion that because these these things are fake and this is a bunch of empty drama, which which it is, a lot of it is that that's the way everything is, and they compare that to the Lord and say that's that's not true. Just because there are fakes and just because because there there's a lot of empty religion doesn't mean that that there's not truth and life and power in the gospel of Jesus. Okay, I'm not here to to convince or to sell religion. I'm here to to preach Jesus and Him crucified and risen. But here's the thing: when you look at this this time, which we would call the Christmas season, I'm not too big into that, but but the time of Jesus' birth, God was fixing to do something great, and I believe we're in the same place today. Uh, that if you compare our culture to their culture, God is, God is fixing to do something great. And God's doing great things. You know, our world is shaking. And the kingdom of darkness has ramped up the battle because he knows his time is short. When you look at what's going on in the world with Israel, all of that stuff's not a coincidence. It's not just a cultural thing. Uh, anytime that you begin to see, and that's why I brought up, you know, all the empires. When you see Alexander the Great and you see the Roman Empire and the Babylonian Empire, God was 
using those things to move the world into a position of which Christ would come back. And the Bible teaches in Matthew 24, when it talks about the end time, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be wars and rumors of war. God also said in Hebrews, I will shake the world again. And that we're starting to see that shaking prior to the return of Jesus. God is moving things around, okay? You say, God's causing war. No, I'm saying the devil causes war. God uses even what the devil causes for his glory and to serve his purpose in that. And so God's sovereign and in control. But what I am saying is, when you begin to see things like that happening... God is one who is moving and he's setting a stage. I believe that stage is going to be the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so in that, God's plan still hasn't changed. Jesus is coming soon prior to the day of what the Bible calls the day of the Lord. And he still wants to save people from their sins. Still wants to save. That's the whole purpose of our church and of any church is to preach the good news The love of Jesus, the truth of God's word, so that people can be saved from their sins, okay? And so in that, what he's doing, he's looking for those who desire, just like these people in this story, who will be a vessel to become involved in kingdom business and to experience a move of God like we've never seen before. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, we'll put it up here on the screen, it says, But in a great house, we're talking about the kingdom of God, the great house of God, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone, it's an invitation, God doesn't force himself upon anybody, God doesn't force his will upon you to have to do what he, God's like, if there's anyone who cleanses himself, if you desire to go, God, I want to be a vessel. I want to be someone that you can work in and through to save people from their sin. If anyone purges or cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, set apart, and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So this is what Timothy is challenging people for. Or Paul actually is challenging to go, you know, if you want to know what God wants your, for your life, God wants for you to prepare to be a vessel that he can fill and use. And here's the good thing. It doesn't matter what the vessel looks like on the outside. It doesn't matter if it's gold or silver, clay or wood. It doesn't matter. That, that's not what we put so much emphasis in our culture on what the vessel is and how pretty it is and how much it looks on the outside. God's like, it's not about, we're, the Bible says we're vessels of clay. We're, our frame is dust. Every single one of us, doesn't matter what, what you've been through, doesn't matter what your name is, doesn't matter what degree you hold, it doesn't matter how much money you've got, it doesn't matter if you're a business owner or if you're a slave. God's like, I don't care about none of that stuff. He doesn't look at the outward appearance of man. He looks upon the heart. He looks upon the person who goes, God, I just desire my life to be fillable and usable because it's what's on the inside. It's what God does through his spirit that impacts the world, not what we do through our abilities. Okay, a lot of times we say, I just want to offer my abilities to God. Quit offering your abilities to God and just offer God empty space that he can fill and that he can be glorified through what he can do. So in that, I just want to challenge you this morning to consider becoming that vessel. Now, <clears throat> I think, you know, I'm, I don't think I'm wrong. But I believe that when a person truly is born again and God's spirit's inside of you, 
you know, the very spirit of the Lord's inside of you that God puts a desire in your heart to honor him. In some way, I know that we all honor him in different ways, and and it should be in your heart, especially over a period of time, that you have God's love within you, and you desire lost people to be saved from their sins. You desire for people to have in their life what God's done in your life. You desire to to show and to demonstrate the love of Jesus, and and so that's what I'm talking about when I'm saying becoming that vessel that God can fill and use. And God uses people on different levels, okay. And, and, and I think a lot of things have been taught or especially in our culture and, and what we are doing, a lot of people are sitting back waiting for the superstars, you know, who's got everything right, who's got every, they understand everything about the Bible and their life is good, you know, and they have these great abilities. We're waiting for those people to stand up and do the business of God's kingdom. But when we look at the Bible, we see something very, very different. God's like, I'm not looking for a superstar. I'm not looking for a celebrity. You know, one of the things you see today is everybody loves it for some reason. You know, when a celebrity uh, makes this announcement that they're a Christian now. or And I appreciate people who are in influential positions who, who use that as a platform to promote Jesus and the gospel. I'm not gonna, but what we don't need is to go, you know, this is just, I don't know, this is the first one to come to my head for some reason. Hey, if, if, did you hear that Tim McGraw got saved and now he's going to sing Christian music? You know, great. All of a sudden he's on every, you know, every Christian channel and all this stuff. They want to take a person like that and put him into a place. You go, but you know why? Because, because Tim can draw thousands of people and he has so much influence. Lord's like, I don't need Tim McGraw. I don't need a football player and I don't need a, a Hollywood actor. You know, who, who, who professes Jesus one day and, and maybe next week they not. I, I won't say who it was, but there was an actor that made me sick to my stomach that, that, that a Christian channel put on and said, hey, this, this man's given us, he's been born again, he's given his life to Jesus and, and they got him on there and kind of interviewed it and he, him hauled around a little bit and, and said he was a Christian and, you know, three months later he comes out with a filthy rated R movie. You know, where he's acting like the devil himself. And I'm like, I don't care what they call me judging, whatever you want to. That dude don't know Jesus from Adam. You know, and, and his life has shown absolutely no change in it whatsoever. And yet now we've put him on a platform and said he's a Christian so that the world can go, well, if he is, then I am too. God doesn't need celebrities, okay? He's not looking for a name or a reputation or, or somebody that can draw attention. Notice here in this scripture, he comes to Mary. And Mary herself said, I'm just a, I'm just a maidservant. I'm a nothing. And if you look at Joseph, I mean, Joseph was a poor carpenter. They were living in Nazareth. You remember one of the disciples when, when Jesus, uh, when they talked to this disciple about Jesus, they said he was from Nazareth. His reply was, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That was the reputation of that town. It was like, can any good, I won't say that. I'm going to watch what I say. Can any good thing come out of uh, this certain town? All right, and and and, and no nobody Nazareth didn't have a reputation. Joseph didn't have a reputation. It wasn't like he was a he's a well respected businessman in our community. He was a nothing. Joseph was a nobody. Mary was a nobody. Nazareth was a no-name place. But here's what they had. And, and even if you look at the other people who are involved here with, with uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, she had the reputation that God didn't love her because she was barren, that God had cursed her. That would have been her reputation in that day. 
Yet these are the very people that God chooses to do one of the all-time greatest signs and miracles and wonders ever. In the middle of nowhere. Now, now when we think about it, if you think about what would it be like if Jesus came in our day? Average people go, well, I expect he's going to show up, you know, somewhere in this big city with a bunch of publicity. He's going to be on every social media channel. He's going to surround himself by all of these Christian celebrities and superstars who are, who are on the stage and lights of ministry and they're going to magnify him and they're going to be the ones to announce him. But instead, in reality, what we see is that Jesus shows up on the scene, you know, somewhere like Elkhart, Texas, and he chooses two backwood rednecks to bring the truth to the world. That's the way God works. Because God doesn't need what man has to offer. We need what God has to offer. And so I encourage you here today, if you're a nobody from nowhere, then God's like, I can use you to do great things. One of the common things that we see with these people are that they had humble spirits, humble hearts before God. You know, they wasn't trying to convince God they were great enough to do what he called them to do. They were just humble and they received what Lord, I guess you know what you're doing. I don't know what, what you're doing, but, but I'll, I'll, I'll believe whatever you say about me. And then there was a great reverence for the Lord. Their desire was to honor the Lord. Their desire was to be obedient to the Lord. You know, when, 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 when the angel Gabriel showed up, they were humble before him. They were fearful before him. Their desire, you know, it even says with, uh, um, Elizabeth and <coughs> Zechariah that they were blameless before God concerning things of the law. They walked with the Lord. They, they, they wanted to go overboard to be obedient to the Lord. I think that's one thing that we're lacking in the church today. Because a lot of average people sitting in a church, we, we, we're not, so much worried about reverencing God going overboard to try to live a life that's holy, to try to live a life that is, that is walking in truth so that when people see us, they, they clearly see an example of what Jesus wants them to see. What we have today is a majority of people who say they're believers want to push it to the edge of sin to go, I think we can still do this and I think we can still be involved in it and I don't think you have to this and I don't think you have to that. You know, I think it's okay, and let's just let's just tinge some people. I think it's okay if you come to church every so often. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I think it's okay if you're involved in in these things of the world. You know, blah blah blah. And and we we go through all this justification, whereas a person who has a heart who desires to revere God, who has a reverence and a respect and a standing in awe of who God is. They respect God's word. They're desirous to, to obey the word, to walk in it. We don't want to stumble. We don't want to be a bad example to people. We don't want to misguide anybody. We want to make sure we're speaking the truth. We want to, we want to represent the Lord uprightly. And that's the desire and the heart that each one of these people have when God chooses them to be a part of his work. The second thing is that you see there is all of them desire to magnify Jesus. You know, Gabriel said he's going to be great. And then you see that that when uh, Mary goes and visits Elizabeth, she was six months pregnant at that time. And when she got there, it said the baby was leaping in her womb. Okay, he was actually filled with the Holy Ghost while he was still in his mother's womb. Won't get into that this morning. But what I'm saying is, and then Mary's like, my soul, the, her song that she was saying, my soul magnifies the Lord. God's looking, say, I want to be a vessel. What kind of person does God use? What kind of person sees 
these great things. Because I, I can be honest with you, I want to be a part of the great things that God's doing. I don't want to be a part of some legalistic, ceremonial crap that we call church. I want to be a part of something that God's doing that is great because God's still doing great things and he's still looking for vessels that he can fill and use. He's still doing miracles. He's still doing signs and wonders. He's still saving wretched lost people. He's still transforming lives. He's still healing. You will never convince me that he's not doing those things. I know that 100% for sure. And I go, I want my life to be in a place to where when God looks for somebody he can use, he's like, that person right there. I want, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of something that's real, something that's true. Not just come to church, sit here, hear another message, be bored, and go on about my average worldly life. And I think that's why the church is dying, because we're, we're dying for a move of God. And God's like, I'm, I'm dying to move. But God doesn't force himself on people. And God doesn't look for people who, who have to feel like they gotta be a celebrity or they gotta meet in a, a, meet a certain worldly criteria. Well, you know what? If you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, you know, share the word with somebody, you're gonna have to go get five years of a, of a seminary degree and you're gonna have to have this. And that. that way, you know, you can debate and you can like, we, we've got enough debating. We've got enough theology. I think there's a, I think there's a theologian on every corner who wants to start an argument. And, and I get texts a lot all the time, and I don't mind the text at all, but I got two or three different texts this week, and it's like, you know, what about, what do you think about this, and what do you think about that? And, and my response is, I'm not a theologian, but this is what I do know. If we would spend a whole lot more time, rather than arguing about this and arguing about that, that doesn't make a hill of beans. It doesn't matter. If you even knew the answer, it wouldn't change anything other than people would have to go, you're right. But if we would focus on things like, this is what I do know, and I don't have to be a theologian to have a degree. I know that Jesus was born as the Son of God because He loved sinners. He died on a cross in the place of sinners and took our punishment and buried my sins in a grave and He rose to life to give me grace and offer me forgiveness and life and peace and joy and gladness and power and freedom. I know all of that. And that is exactly the one thing that the world needs that the church is doing everything to avoid. I'm like, if we could put away... These theological debates and the stuff that's going on inside the church. You know what? Jesus didn't tell me to figure out every little, every little detail. He made it real simple for real simple people to go, I just want you to go tell people I love them and that I'll forgive them if they'll turn to me. I'll give them life. I'll show them mercy. And I'll turn their world upside down in a good way. <clears throat> and so he's looking for people who want to magnify Jesus. So when you look at what you're investing your time in and your life and you go, does this magnify Jesus? When people listen to my conversation, does it magnify Jesus or does it magnify my intelligence? Does it magnify how much I know about the Bible? Does it magnify how much, how religious I am or does it magnify when they walk away from your conversations, do they walk away not even remembering who it was that said it, but they remember Jesus? That's what they should walk away from. That he's magnified. These people didn't need to be seen or heard. There was no stage, no social media. They didn't have to post what they were doing on Facebook. 
And understand, I'm not saying negative things about there's, there's, there, we're, we're, we're going to try to use social media to do what? Magnify Jesus. And that's a good thing. But there's a lot of people who use social media to magnify what they're doing for Jesus or how great they are for the Lord. You know, one of, one of the things that John the Baptist said, maybe the greatest thing that John the Baptist ever said was, he must increase and I must decrease. And, and here would be my question. Do we even understand? You know, for people go about talking about how great the Lord is, Gabriel said he will be great. And I thought about this as I prepared this message. thought, do we even grasp? I think we do. We just don't think about it enough and we don't, we don't say it enough. We don't praise it enough. How great Jesus is. Can you imagine what your life personally would be like had Jesus not come? You know, I don't even think the world would exist at this point in time because we would have self-destructed. But if you just took Jesus, if I just took Jesus out of my life and the influence he alone has had in my life, I'd, I'd be dead. Be want to be honest, but it would be, it would be, I'm going to tell you what it would be, hell, uh, just a glimpse of hell on earth. Miserable people, angry, hating, bitter, depressed, so, filled with sorrow, hopeless, empty, fighting, hating, prideful, arrogant, void of love, dark, divided, spiteful. We can just go on and on and on. My marriage would have ended very soon, probably would have never started. I wouldn't have what I have. I would have be so, you know, and I, I just go on and on and go, I have, and every every believer here, and let me say this, every unbeliever here, if you have any goodness in your life, it's because God's grace in your life. And But here's the thing. Every believer in your life, you go, why do I want to magnify Jesus? Because look at what he's done for you. You know, I'm not talking about, well, I mean, look at what I got in the bank. Look what I got in the garage. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you as a believer can go, I have eternal life. If I, if I sit on a hospital bed and hospice is sitting there talking to me and everybody's standing around crying, in my heart I can be like, I don't know what y'all crying about because I'm telling you right now, I'm fixing to be more alive than I have ever been. I have eternal life. I don't have to fear what it's going to be like. He's got that under control. I don't have to fear hearing him go, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. I don't know what hell's like other than what I read in the Bible, but I'm never going to find out. I have... I I have a family who God saved, and I'm so grateful for that. I believe God's going to save all of my grandchildren. That's a bunch of them at this point. I hope I have more. But I believe God's going to save all of my grandchildren. I have an amazing church family. I have a great purpose in my life. I have provision that God overflows and overabounds in every area of my life. God's blessed me with good health. He's brought me through bad health. I've seen God do so many things in my life and you go, why do you preach? That's why. Because I want to magnify Jesus to go, everybody can have what Jesus wants to give you. And he's got more for me. And he's got more for you. The Lord is good. It's not just about, oh, well, you know, you need to be saved so you don't go to hell. And then you go to church and, and listen to him stand up and scream at you for a little while. You know, a long while. And, and, and then, you know, try to be good. I'm like, if that's the life you're living, it's so boring. Do you not know how good Jesus is and what he has for you and what he died to give you? He said, I come that you might have life. I've got that. He didn't stop there, that you might have it abundantly. That while you're here on earth, I want you to have my glory poured out in you and through you so that all those people around you in darkness go, man, that dude is shining bright. 
Really? Do y'all get that? That's where God's at. The people, and maybe you hear today and go, you know what? That life you was describing about not having Jesus, that's the life I have. Then you need Jesus. Because your life's just going to continue in that pattern. And a doctor and medication and dope and, and alcohol and, and bad relationship, none of that's going to fix you. But I, I can tell you that. Maybe you're here and go, I have a life that's hopeless and, or it seems hopeless and it's, and it's dark and it's empty and it's depressive and it's angry and I'm bitter and, and this has happened to me, that's happened to me. And I'm like, man, bring that stuff to the foot of the cross of Jesus to go, this is what I have. And he'll be like, I'll take that. He's already taken it. He's like, this is what I have for you. And when you receive what he has for you, and like Mary, when she receives, like, I will become what he has spoken to me. When God's people begin to receive his love and grace, we will become what he has spoken of us. Your life is radically, amazingly changed, and you wake up one day to go, I just want to magnify the Lord. If I don't finish this message today, I just want to go, God's people ought to have the heart to go, God, we ought to start off our day every day in prayer before we give him all the needs, before we give him all the troubles, to go, God, I just want to start off my day just magnifying you, God, because you're this and you're that and you're so good and you're so great and you're sovereign and you're in control and I don't have to worry and I don't have to think, God, and you give me peace and all these different things. You know what? Your prayer, you'd be, under, you'd be experiencing that sweet hour of prayer. But they had a heart to magnify God. And here's the thing. Um, <clears throat> finish right here. Let me, let me turn this off so you don't. So you don't mention that in the Baptist church or whatever. I don't care what church I'm in. The Bible mentions it. It's the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit of God. And here's the key thing that I want you to get out of this message. You know, when you read the Christmas story, when you read the, the, this story in the Bible of Jesus' birth and everything that surrounded it, I, I encourage you to spend some time this month reading that and being very, very familiar with it. You don't read a story of great people who did something great for the Lord or accomplished something for the Lord. We read great things that the Spirit of God accomplished through average, ordinary people who were surrendered, filled, and led by His Spirit. And here's the thing. He offers that to any and everyone. God said, I'll give you my Spirit. I will fill you with my glory. He calls the Spirit His glory. It's His presence. It's His person, his essence, who he is, his character, his nature, his powers. I, I will put that in a jar of clay and I will use that to bring myself glory. He offers that to each and every one of us. And here's the thing. <clears throat> We're in a day where we live in a dry and a thirsty land. Psalm 63, 1. I want you to look at this real quick. Stay with me. I'm almost done. It says, oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. Notice he's not saying my, th- my soul longs for a better job and a better living condition, more American goodies. He's like, Lord, I want, I want you. In a dry and a thirsty land. You know what God says to that in Isaiah chapter, I believe it's 40. What is it? Yeah, 41, 18. He's talking to that and he said, I will open up rivers in desolate heights, fountains in the midst of valleys. I will make the wilderness 
a pool of water and dry land springs of water. He's like, I don't care how dry your life is, how dry your church is, how far. When you have a heart that goes, God, I want you to feel me. I want to. I want you. I don't want religion. I don't want what 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 all this stuff that's going on. I don't want drama. I don't want fake. I don't want all, Lord. I want the Spirit of God to grab a hold of me and to fill me. God's like, I can do that. He wants to do that actually. But we live in a land of self-produced counterfeits, you know, of the Holy Spirit that pump people up like a balloon when the air is let out, or the air is let out when the experience is over. You know, people go to these things, hop up, hop up, and they're talking about, I felt the Spirit, and the Spirit this. I got so upset this week. I was listening to, to music, and I'm sorry I'm keeping it, but we'll be done just saying, stay with me. But I was listening to radio while I was working, and, and uh, or YouTube, and it was just switching from one, from one after another. And this, I don't even know who it was. And a worship leader got up, and he, he started praying. It was one of them. And he was praying, oh, oh, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit this, Holy Spirit that. But one thing he said was, Holy Spirit, come in and swirl among us. I'm like, swirl among us? Where do we see that in the Scripture where he swirls? The only thing swirls is a toilet, and so does your doctor, and flush it. If you want to be true, that's, that's the Holy Spirit. We, we made it out to be a counterfeit and we made it out to be something that is not. And we want it to be this feeling and this emotion and this hype. And that's what people are looking for. And all of a sudden, when they're out of the environment, Holy Spirit ain't there no more. Whereas when we look at what God wants to pour out, what we need is a drink of, or an outpouring of God's Spirit in our heart that fills us with the righteousness of Christ. That transforms us into the image of Christ. That fills us with the love for His glory. We need a move of God's Spirit that turns us away from sin. And empowers us to live freely and abundantly in holiness. According to God's Word. A feeling of the Spirit that not only develops a hunger for the Word. But a heart and a life that dives into it. And obeys it with a reverence for God. And a respect for God's Word. You know, and that's what you see in these people. That God took and he did the greatest signs and the wonders that's ever been accomplished through average, ordinary people who wanted to magnify Jesus and who surrendered to and asked for the filling of God's Spirit. All the way through the Scriptures in connection to Jesus' birth and his ministry, everything revolved around people who were filled with the Spirit, including Jesus. When he left out of the wilderness temptation, it said in Jesus being filled with the Holy Ghost, he went out and he preached the kingdom. And so in that, the Bible says the eyes of the Lord walked to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is wholly given to him. The eyes of the Lord are still looking for people who's like, God, I want to be a vessel. I don't have a degree. I don't have a name. I don't have a reputation. I don't have a whole lot of ability. But God, what I want to do is I want to purge myself. God, purge me. It means remove the things out of me that take your place. Remove the things out of my life that hinder your purpose and plan. God, empty me out so that you can fill me up, so that you can pour out into other people's lives. So I ask you this morning, that begins with a desire, then the emptying comes, seeking God to fill us, and then to, and then to be filled with God's love and, his, and, and surrender to the purpose that God has for your life. So in that, I just ask you to, this morning, 
do you desire to go? God, I, I want to be that vessel. I want to be that person. And, you know, and, and let me say this, and I'm, I'm going to finish up right here. When you begin to pray that, God, I'm just asking you to fill me in your spirit, you can expect two things. God's going to do what you ask, and the devil's going to war against it. He's going to ramp up everything in your flesh and everything in your life and everything in your world to try to, to, try to get your eyes off the Lord. And God says, you just continue to seek me. And God's going to fill you, and God will do great things in your life and for you and through you for other people's lives for his glory. I pray, God, this morning that people here would surrender to that. If you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, God sent Christ to save you from your sins. He can take you from the lowest place, the Bible said, set you on the highest place, totally radically change your life. If you're here this morning, you need to surrender to that. Give your life to Jesus today. Will you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed? Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I love you and I thank you so much for your goodness and your love, your grace in our life, God. I just thank you for sending Jesus to save us. Thank you that you not only save us, but you keep us, that you, that you carry us, that you offer opportunity for us to behold your glory, and to be a part of the greatest work that this world has ever seen. God, there's so many people in our day and time that need to be saved from their sins. God, I pray that you pour your glory out in this people, in this group, in this no-name town. God, that nobody knows of, Lord, that you would do something great here in and through the people in this church, in this community, God, that there would be a revival. God, that you'd raise up people who love you, God, people who will speak the word in, in love and in truth. Help us, Lord, to show our community that, God, it's not something that we can accomplish, but, God, it's something that, that your spirit can work in and through us, Lord. I pray that we would just offer ourselves up, Lord, today. And if there's things in our life that hinder you from filling us, that you would reveal those things to us, Lord, that we would just lay those down, that we would empty ourselves out, God, so that we can be filled. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.